I'm digging for feeling. And when I hit the feeling, that's when I get the shiver, kind of like sent a jolt through me. Something about writing the book made me realise that I needed a drastic change in my life. That's just called relating to people. And then maybe writers are the people who can't do that in a normal way and have to do it through writing things. She's like, this is quite personal, Amy. Are you, are you sure you want to publish this? It's a miracle to me that I've managed to finish anything, let alone now, like six books. Yeah, they exist, don't they? So I must have done that. <laughs> Welcome to In Haste with me, Alice Vincent. And me, Charlotte Runcy. This is a new series where we discuss how great books really get written. I think it's very easy to assume that writers have a lot of time to write and they're able to produce sparkling prose and brilliant books because they just have endless hours in the day that other people who aren't writers don't. But that's not true. In this series, we speak to some amazing people who've written novels, non-fiction, short story collections and the rest about the challenges of writing their books and putting them out into the world. And we talk about the matter of writing when you have a real life to live. Or sometimes of an evening when I'm sitting on my knees in bed with my cover over my back writing my diary, I feel like I'm just connected back to little girl me and I feel like most myself, I suppose. In Haste is also on Substack, where even more conversations about books and writing are unfolding. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to join a very welcoming bookish community and access special subscriber-only stuff, including exclusive bonus podcast episodes, new writing, and lots of other extras. Head to inhaste.substack.com or check our show notes for more. We're very excited that our guest today joining us is Amy Liptrot. Amy is the author of the beautiful literary memoirs, The Outrun and The Instant. And I think it's fair to say that her writing has been hugely inspiring for both of us. And our conversation with Amy was just glorious. She was warm, encouraging, real, unadorned, and just gave us a fantastic insight into the process of a writer who writes like no one else. I think the Outrun came out in 2016, was it, Alice? Yeah, that's right. I had the hardback in that year. And it was an interesting time for nature writing because suddenly it moved from that weird corner of Waterstones that people don't go unless you really care about peregrine falcons to the front table in Waterstones. And that's because Amy seemed to make nature writing kind of sexy. She blended her own story of being a young woman who moved from London to Orkney to battle her alcoholism with this fantastic natural landscape people just weren't that familiar with. And her follow-up, The Instant, that really also did weird stuff with genre. I'd say it's even harder to categorise. Here, Amy is spending a year in Berlin, cut off from her friends, and she's trying to look for love. And it ultimately doesn't work. I think most people listening to this will probably be aware of or have read The Outrun by now. It's sold that many copies. And I think what really touches so many people about it is that it's about this deep connection with the natural world during a time of personal disconnection for Amy herself. Alice, the book had such an impact on you that it actually inspired a trip to Orkney, didn't it? Yeah, I was one of those. I actually think there were quite a number of people who booked flights to Orkney off the back of reading The Outrun. I didn't go as parasocial as some people did, which was to sort of try and find the farm where Amy had grown up or anything like that. But her depiction of the landscape of Orkney is such that it it was just irresistible to me. And 
the book had been lent to me by my now husband and we'd not been going out very long, matter of weeks. And I was trying to play it cool and was just like, yeah, so I'm going to go to Orkney. You can come if you want. And it, he he did. Anyway, <laughs> we had a great time. But I didn't know that part of Alice Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Your relationship depends on this. Yeah. I wish we'd told Amy. No, she would have thought I was really, really weird. It's for the best that we didn't. <laughs> but yeah, and, and that is a lovely romantic story and we had a great time. But actually, and this is where it would be really embarrassing if we told Amy that, but like, Without, If I hadn't read The Outrun and read the way that Amy blended her personal narrative with the way that she writes about the outside world, I would not have written Rootbound, which was my first book. It was massively transformative for me. I loved The Outrun too. Um, I remember picking it up when I worked in a bookshop and it came in and it has this glorious cover of um, kind of blue and pinky peachy coloured lines. And I remember seeing it and thinking, what, what is this? And I just read it while I was at work. Um, and then I listened to The Instant as an audiobook when it came out, and it's read by Amy herself in her beautiful, slightly ethereal voice. And I thought that was an even more powerful and bold piece of work in the end, and incredibly intimate too in how it expresses being in a new city and feeling this strong, overwhelming desire to connect with people and ultimately to fall in love. We should warn you that due to some of the subject matter we're discussing in this episode and throughout the series, there is some swearing and some discussion of adult themes and difficult subjects. Writers by their nature do use all sorts of language and confront some of the darker corners of life. And we do go there in some of our conversations. So if that's not your thing, just be aware of it. Anyway, this is a really wonderful conversation with Amy. So thank you for downloading and subscribing and we hope you enjoy it. Amy, I don't think it's any secret for Charlotte and I to say that we both totally love your work. When did you start writing about your life and why? I am a diary keeper and have been since I could first write at seven or eight years old. Whereas a lot of people keep a diary for a little while, but stop it. I uh, have kept on going through my teens and through my life. Of the two books that I've had published, my diaries have been the, the basis of both of those books. But I've also worked as a journalist and studied literature. So I have those more formal elements that I've mixed with my diary writing, I think. And that's provided the voice that I have in my writing. Was there a moment when you thought, these diaries, I'm going to try and pursue that in a formal publishing bookish way? For a long time, they were simply private. But I also have done blogs that were like a more public version of certain elements of my diaries. So I kept a blog in my early 20s when I was a cleaner at the oil terminal in Orkney, when I was quite unhappy, but I was quite pleased with some of the best writing that I'd done on, on that uh, cleaner blog. I kept a blog again during the three months when I was in rehab, when I was attending a treatment centre. And again, it was a difficult time in my life, but I was sober and it ended up being the sort of best body of work writing most days that I, that I built it up over, the, over those three months. Has writing been the constant thread through all of those different forms of publishing and different life experiences you've had? Has writing been the thing that's kept going or has it been more complicated than that. Well, sometimes of an evening when I'm sitting 
on my knees in bed with my cover over my back writing my diary, I feel like I'm just connected back to little girl me writing my day. You know, my life's completely different and many other things has happened. But when I'm writing my diary of an evening, that, that that's a common thread. And I feel like most myself, I suppose. And if I don't write my diary for a few days, I feel, I definitely start to feel a bit anxious. And I feel almost like my experiences have been wasted because I haven't been able to make anything of them in in my journal. It certainly sorts my head out on a personal level to kind of put something on the page. And also with talk about the diaries, because I have known that it has been the basis for my other published work, that's the kind of reason to keep going with it. Uh, so I do have that like little awareness now that maybe this is going to be something that I'm going to use, although I wouldn't show it to anyone in that form. But yeah, I think the other types of writing, I mean, I was a pretty bad journalist, no eye for a story or kind of um, ability with um, pushing an interviewee or anything like that. But it did give me technical skills of being able to craft a paragraph and meet a deadline and write to length. And so I feel like those really quite technical craft skills and also stuff that I got from my studies, you know, has helped me. That direct pipeline of diary to bestseller is one of the things that actually sounds kind of dreamy to me. I'm not a diary keeper and I've always longed to be one. But nevertheless, the transformation of what you're saying, writing as an unemployed person to having this phenomenally successful debut, you know, we're talking a Sunday Times bestseller, it won various prizes. I saw it on billboards on the tube. You know, <laughs> what the hell was that like? <laughs> well, that year, 2016, was a huge kind of shift in my status, if you like. And, you know, I was I was confident in the book and its qualities, but, you know, getting published was the kind of extent of my ambition for it. It was amazing that got critically you know, quite well received, but also then started selling quite well also. Yeah, and it was quite a ride. But I think the thing is with your status shifting in the eyes of other people, I hadn't changed or my abilities weren't any more than they were when I wrote the book three years previously in the intervening time when I hadn't been able to get any journalism work or freelance work, you know. But suddenly people were asking me to write for, you know, broadsheets and kind of, it it was interesting to, to see and any kind of publication is a strange experience of going through the looking glass, but particularly publishing memoir type material. It's a really unique and strange kind of experience. But I, you know, and I was just continually surprised and delighted that people had understood what I was trying to do with my writing. You know, they'd taken the time and they'd connected and that it had worked. I kept being like, wow, it's it's worked what I was trying to do, you know, all, all those months kind of sitting at that kitchen table. And sort of relationships with readers became quite a big part of my life in that time. At that point, I still, I had my email address on my website. So a lot of readers got in touch with me personally, most of whom identified personally with some element of the book. Either they'd grown up on a farm or they had some connection to the Scottish islands, or for many of them, they had someone close to them that was struggling with addiction or alcoholism or them, they, they themselves were, were in addiction or were newly sober. And sort of replying to readers and just the awareness of being read during that year was a big part of my life and quite an honour. 
and quite exhausting as well. <laughs> uh, like I haven't got my email address on my website anymore just because I sort of realized that there was a a limit to it was like the book is my part of the conversation and readers can reply to it you know they're part of the conversation but I didn't always have an obligation to then you know carry on this conversation you know cause I've, I've said it as well as well as I can in the book. I actually would was so keen to talk to you about The Instant which I loved possibly even more than The Outrun, which is also a book that I adored. And in the instant, you bring us so deeply into that life in Berlin and really paint a, such a vivid picture of this city of temporary work, temporary relationships, and one spellbinding but ultimately unhealthy relationship in particular threads us through the book. But as you say, that book came out at a time when your life was quite different, it sounds like, from the life that you're narrating in the book did it feel strange to be reliving that time yes in particular with with the instant it came out four or five years after the time period in question and I think my my general feeling with that book is that I was glad that it was out there and being published and people were reading it but I'm also just glad that it's in the past and I didn't do so many public events for that book because I did find it quite difficult to sort of be plunged back into into that time again. And I didn't really want to be. You know, I was glad that I'd captured the rawness of it uh, in the writing. And in the writing of it, you know, was after I returned to the UK. And, and then most of it, well, I mean, it was written slowly because I had one child during that time. And then I handed the book in. I had a hard deadline to hand it in, which was my second child being born. So, you know, my life was very different by by that point. And uh, I was just remembering I had to do the edits on that book when my second baby was four months old. So I had this month of um, my partner being home a lot and a friend helping out with the baby and taking him out of the house and for a couple of hours and bringing him back to me uh, for feeds. But it, w- it was unsustainable, but it was only for that that like I think it was a month of, of working on the edits of the book of like this very different time of my life and that I was feeding the baby. How did you focus your mind on those on those edits? Because it's such a the instant is such a precise book. It's so poetically, lyrically observed and every sentence is pristine. During that time of editing, that was really what I was focused on was like sharpening it up and having it really um distinctive and poetic and um honing it down I guess I had a sensation of what I wanted it to be like and you know I'd sit at my desk in little bursts and get rid of the 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 weakest bits and keep it's a short book you know so it was really a process of like cutting it down a lot and I remember reading poetry during that month kind of that was a sort of guiding force of thinking quite quite poetically yeah and in that book it's like each chapter is kind of like an extended metaphor most of them are so there's there's quite often two elements like there's one about being in a nightclub and being underwater and there's one about looking for raccoons and online dating and there's one about archaeology and the digital aftermath of a relationship so each of them had these two threads that winded through the whole chapter and a lot of it was about getting the balances right of those two different elements so dropping in a thread earlier on in the chapter and picking it up later and I I actually enjoy that editing once I have the first draft you know the material I really enjoy that um 
editing process. I have quite a slow and laborious process that involves lots of printing and scribbling, but I do quite like it once I get to that stage. You write about so many intense personal experiences in the book and you write very frankly and also very beautifully about sex in particular and especially in the instant and writing about sex can be something that a lot of writers find daunting either in fiction or in memoir I mean perhaps especially in memoir and how do you approach it? Um, The copy editor of the book at at a late stage actually sort of checked in with me she's like this is quite personal Amy are you are you sure you want to publish this and I was like thank you for your comment but I've very much considered what I want to put in and I think having these sexual parts is very is key to understanding this relationship there could have been a lot more (laughs) I think the guiding principle with that book was to be honest to what truly concerned and motivated and occupied me at that time so it's about desire it's about looking for things not not just the the birds in the city but you know I was very much looking for love at that time and you know and this is what my diaries were full of so you know I picked out some particularly representative kind of scenes. I think that's part of what makes it feel so real though. Yeah, thanks. Because there has there has been times with the publication of this book where I felt a bit embarrassed, and I think members of my family have found it difficult. But you know, I did at each stage everything I've I've considered and had agency in in what I've what I've written. And I think it's had an enormously positive effect just on on readers because I just think that so often you get, especially in memoir, people fading to black or taking the reader out of a scene when we'd learn much more about the color of the scene if we could access that really raw real moment of human connection and yeah to include that in the story is the only thing that makes the story make sense and the story of that relationship in particular I guess often it's tricky with memoir because the other person is an identifiable person so it would be maybe like breaking their privacy but in in this book the identity of my lover is is obscured so I felt that that was all right (laughs) you do this fascinating thing of referring to everyone as B or your friends as (laughs) B so they form this kind of mass of community around you in the book um, which I think is such an interesting way of dealing with that problem of putting real people into a book like that it was a warhol technique was it that's it that's who I stole it off Andy Warhol yeah. in his diaries <laughs> everyone else is just B he's A of course <laughs> of course <laughs> but in a way I felt like I was really emphasizing that that subjectivity of memoir and the fact that this is a book about me and I'm not attempting to give a full portrait of any of these other people and often it was just a way of like getting to the one interesting nugget that a friend said or interesting detail rather than being this fully fleshed out kind of portrait of other people. I I wanted to push myself kind of artistically, kind of experimentally with this book because people had trusted and liked what I did in the outrun. I just felt like it was an opportunity to, to sort of push it even further with some kind of a formal ideas. But I think that's what's so courageous to then go and be like, actually, I'm going to wait and I'm going to put my family first and then I'm going to release quite a short, really experimental book. <laughs> and um, 
see what you think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's really ballsy. It's been definitely more divisive, the incident, um, in terms of its critical reception and reception from readers than the outrun. It's definitely some people that like the outrun just don't get what I'm trying to do, don't like the book, think it's too weird and too personal or not enough about uh, wildlife. Or that I had this kind of almost fantasy life in Orkney and then what's she doing like going off to the city and like talking about boyfriends and you know (laughs) but yeah I think I think that's cool right to be to be divisive (laughs) definitely and do you feel that readers of the outrun imagined you as a character and then expected you to behave according to the traits of the character they had imagined well I think there's something of, of the success of the book which is to do with um it's a bit of a fantasy for some people, right, to go off to a small house on a small island and it's a kind of archetypal kind of escape and I actually did it, you know. And so I think there's some, a bit of disappointment in the eyes of some readers that I wasn't satisfied with that, I suppose. Because um, even though it was an incredible time, Honestly, I was quite lonely. You know, I was single and, and I didn't think my chance of meeting someone um, on an island of 80 people was was that great. I think what's quite telling in what you were saying there was when you had complaints that there wasn't enough wildlife in it, even though it's riddled with wildlife, the instance. Yeah. Fantastic. Get raccoons. Raccoons everywhere. Well, though you never but... actually find a raccoon. <laughs> oh, that's a spoiler. So. No. <laughs> but I do think it speaks so much to how authors can be pigeonholed and this sense that because you have written one book that happened to be very immersed in the outside world with the outrun, suddenly that's the only thing you can apparently do. And that notion of being self-indulgent is such a criticism that's so often lobbied at memoirists. It's like, well, you are reading about my life. I mean, how do you know what to put on the page and what to leave out of it? We've spoken about this a bit, but recently you've been writing about your children and the next stage of your life. And I'm very conscious that not everything gets on the page. How do you know what boundary to draw? Uh, I'm still figuring this out, I suppose. And uh, I guess it's a lot about instinct, like what feels right and what doesn't. I'm working on at the beginning stages of a new book at the moment. And while I think it might have some first person elements, I've actually... I have quite a strong idea of the boundaries of those first person elements, shall we say, um, like it's going to be quite tightly connected to the subject matter of the book, um, I think, although I haven't written it yet. So <laughs> uh, we will see. Is that what you've been writing this week? No, I've got I've got something else on the go. I've, I've lately been um, having a little productive time where I go and sit outside the pub where my friend works. I smoke some cigarettes and I do a bit of, um, I have my printout and I do some scrolling over whatever my latest project is. And then before or after that, I'll go for a walk where it's sort of in my head. So walking and smoking are two things that are kind of part (laughs) of my process at the moment. I love that. It's not just sitting at the desk. It is an all expansive experience. Yeah. Have there been any specific moments where you have been writing or thinking or you've been immersed in the world of what you're writing and something has interrupted you or got in the way or really frustrated you in that? Well, I'm working on this proposal for something that's a little bit different. And I did just, I just lost faith in it for uh, a month or something. I sent it to my agent and he gave me some feedback. He was pushed me to make it a bit better. And I think my reaction to being pushed, which was very like I needed to be, was just to sort of 
like I was like, oh, it's no good. It's too hard. And I just didn't return to it for like a, a month. But then actually when I sat down with it and like made myself sit with it for an hour, some new ideas came. But it's only ever slowly, you know, it's only ever like one little bit that gets improved and it never just all improves at once. You know, you have to just sit there and drag yourself through it. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think the general thing that stops me is the inside of my own head. You know, it's the, it's the criticism and it's, it's the um, excuses so yeah i'm i'm still figuring it out as uh yeah <laughs> i'm i'm still sitting here slightly marveling at the notion that you edited a book with a 4 month old and another child because <laughs> thank thanks to my partner still i don't know if your child stopped sleeping at 4 months but mine did and my god i i i kind of lost my mind actually and so i suppose you know, you're, you're mothering and you're writing from a sort of outside parasocial social media perspective seem like they go hand in hand, especially with your columns. How do you manage to do both? You say you've got your partner and your, your friend who takes them out, but on a day-to-day basis, how does your mothering and your writing collide? Well, I feel very fortunate that I'm able to, to do both both of these things. You know, I think the kind of security of uh, routine of and turning upness of family life helps me to turn up for my writing as well. And I think the fact that I have my desk here and my books and I'm able to do that makes me a better mum. So I feel very fortunate, really. (laughs) Your children, I think, might be a similar age to mine, Amy. I have a six-year-old and a one-year-old, so sort of early school. Yeah, mine are five and three. Oh, so yes, a similar ballpark. And I don't know if you've found with your five-year-old learning how to read and write and engage with books has really affected me as a reader and a writer and made me look at it in a different way. Have you experienced that at all? Well, it's it's amazing. It's just an emerging kind of um, reading and writing. Uh, but I was in the library with my three-year-old and we were reading this, picked out this book about a dinosaur. And not only were they dinosaurs, they were brothers. And he loved this, that they were they were brothers. Like he has a brother as well. And that really told me something about seeing yourself in books. Like that, he just seemed delighted with that. So I found that interesting about this idea of books are sometimes uh, – windows into another world or mirrors in which to see yourself and <laughs> so then I was interested in finding more books about brothers for them how have you found that your kid has changed your writing so my six-year-old daughter I found it so I I, I realized my own hang-ups about reading because for me reading has always been such a strong part of my identity and writing as well I felt that's part of me and if ever she's reluctant to read because you know they send home these incredibly dull early reader books which just have about three words repeated 12 times on each page. And if she says, I don't want to read, I hate reading. I'm like, you can't hate reading. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> so I have, I have to sort of be chill about that and let her go on her own journey through it. But I find it very, very strange, but then lovely also to revisit, to share books that you read as a child with your own children. Yes. Yeah. Just getting into the chapter book age, which is a whole world of, uh, of things out there. But yeah, yeah. My boy's, too tired to read of, of after school usually them starting school froze up all feelings about school that I had you know it's, <laughs> yeah, it's very very weird my son isn't very old but he will scream halfway through Pipo, and I take that as a kind of assault on my own literary enjoyment so you know <laughs> oh I love Pipo. very informative <laughs> for me isn't it amazing like, the pictures yeah I picked it up at the playgroup and I think I, I think it might have 
subconsciously influenced the choice of window colour in our house. Uh, the peep, just those uh, post-war green. Um, sort of the whole aesthetics yeah. of that book is deep, deep in me. <laughs> but Amy, you're used to parent, to me at least, it seems like you parent in quite extreme ways. You know, when you took your whole family off in a van for what seemed like quite a long time. Um, <laughs> Three months. And that's a long time. Was there any writing going on there at all? Was that a creative process for you? Or is it just family? Mm, well, the previous year, we'd done a month in the van, two years before that in the van when, with my one-year-old. And at that point, I was having phone conference calls, writing the first, the treatment of the script of the film. <laughs> so that was too much. Trying to find somewhere that we could park up in the van that had good enough like internet signal to have this phone call. Yeah, So I wasn't doing so much. I didn't take on something like that in this in the big van trip uh but I did that's actually that's the only time in my life that I did what I think you do a little bit which is uh get up early before before the kids to have a little bit of time to read and write because that was the only time that I got to myself during that trip was sometimes and I'd try and sneak up early and then my oldest boy would wake up too. I'd be like, ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, um, so I did do a little bit of that on that trip. That feeling of when you've you're like, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to write and I'm going to get up at five a.m. and then everyone else decides they're also going to get up at five a.m. <laughs> and then you're just all piled into the bed and your writing goes out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of that, but I've I've very rarely done it apart from when I've like very close to a deadline or like that trip. It was the only only time that I could get. I did it this morning, but then my husband appeared with the baby far too soon. He just wanted to show off a new hat he was wearing, which was fine. I was like, that's nice. I bet this never happened to a male author ever. But yeah, let's talk about the film. What has it been another Tavshir Sharon and just being you? Yeah, totally bonkers. I've actually just finished writing an essay about that the experience of having my memoir adapted and the filmmaking process because it's been so... Uh, kind of uh, bonkers and amazing and I, I can't really believe that it has happened but it's done, it's done all sorts of weird stuff to like my memories like the scenes in the film have become more vivid to me than my actual memories and I start to forget which is the real one for the purposes of the book things were slightly truncated or blended or simplified and then for the film that's a, another iteration of that things being dramatized and time periods like joined together but it starts to be that I can't recall the reality of it for instance I can't recall the name or the face of the doctor that re referred me to rehab like, 12 years ago but I can clearly see the the face of the actor who's playing that part in the film you know and when I've when I've watched the film I kind of walk away from it really feeling that I I'm Saoirse Ronan and then I look in the mirror and I'm like hang on no, disappointed so it's, it's really bizarre um, wow and, that's so uh, weird yeah she's amazing and I was sent the rushes every day the, the footage that they recorded each day and one morning I was play, had it playing on my laptop and my then one-year-old looked at Saoirse Ronan smoking a fag in her blue overalls and said mummy <laughs> pointed at the screen and ah! said, mummy. so, <laughs> so uh, she must have been doing a good job it's very interesting and like a, like a dream come true isn't it but uh, but not not uncomplicated I wish we had on record that sound that Charlotte made just as we stopped recording because Amy basically held up a copy of Charlotte's book, Salt on Your Tongue, that she was currently reading. And I nearly exploded. <laughs> I was just like, ah! 
<laughs> how are you reading my book oh it's very embarrassing fangirl moment it was charming I'm just sorry that it happened after we hit stop but thank you so much to Amy for speaking to us Amy's books are The Outrun and The Instant both published by Canongate and The Outrun has been made into a film Please do subscribe to In Haste on Substack, where we'll be continuing the conversation about books. And you can also get bonus extra content there. And keep listening, either on Substack or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, do tell us what you think, what you're reading, and join in the conversation. And if you enjoyed In Haste, please do leave a review. It really helps other people to find us. Our guest next time is the fascinating Oliver Berkman, author of the life-changing book, 4,000 Weeks. Maybe if I was psychologically healthier, I'd just, you know, that's just called relating to people. And then maybe writers are the people who can't do that in a normal way and have to do it through through uh, writing things. But it's um, that's the point. And that just feels too central to ever want to give up. Our music is by Maria Chiara Ajiro with graphic design by Alicia Fernandez. In Haste is produced by Holly Fisher for Hasty Productions.